afternoon, listeners. You're listening to the DOGS program. DOGS stands for Defence of Government Schools. And we're here every Saturday without fail to defend and to promote public education. And we've got some interesting material for you this afternoon. Up there in New South Wales, where the public system has always been more aggressively defending itself than down here in Victoria, they've set up a New South Wales public education party. This appears to be a combination of Reason Party and the Education Party that Jane Callow has been advocating for. And our press release 967 is about this. And Dale's going to read it for us. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Press release 967 from the New South Wales Public Education Party. On the 6th of February 2023, the Public Education Party of New South Wales launched their political campaign with a view to obtaining an upper house seat in the Legislative Council of New South Wales. This party has been formed by strong advocates for public education led by Jane Carrow together with the Reason Party of New South Wales. Their political objectives are not dissimilar to that of the Dogs, which were formed in New South Wales in 1969. However, their stance on the state aid issue is more ambiguous than that of the dogs. For example, they finished their manifesto as follows. Secular public education. Position. Public Education Party recognises independent, Catholic and faith-based schools exist in our education community. Public Education Party advocate that the local public school and educational setting is the preferred school for young people, the fabric of the community and social capital. Public Education Party defends the Gonski model in principle as the preferred and agreed to fairer resourcing model. Does this mean they accept or question or reject state aid for the private sector? What do they stand for? The following is their manifesto. With the support of like-minded people, we are determined to increase confidence in the public education system in New South Wales and to persuade often reluctant governments to fairly allocate resources and develop policies that ensure equality of outcomes for all students. Public Education Party is committed to advocating for social justice and equity for all to ensure a fairer, productive and more cohesive civil society, influencing and monitoring the policies and strategies of government and departments to ensure transparency and democratic principles are maintained and to prioritise public education in New South Wales, demanding that high-quality secular and public education is available to all students in New South Wales from preschool to higher education, fighting for the fairer funding of all public schools according to the schooling resource standard and public higher education, including TAFEs, colleges and universities. Ensuring curriculum in New South Wales schools is evidence-based and developed by education experts in consultation with diverse communities demanding that all students, irrespective of their background, ability or location, are well supported to access the appropriate stage curriculum and learning designed and delivered by fully qualified teachers, consulting with all relevant public education stakeholders to support high quality programs that fully meet future educational and training needs and promoting the profile, quality and achievements of public education in New South Wales. Their policies. 
The underlying principles of the Public Education Party are advocating for quality public education, supporting all students, championing all public education institutions and communities, advocating for social justice and equity, and fighting for a fairer, more cohesive and productive society. In all public education party policies, students and their learning needs are inclusive of all students from across the spectrum of ability and behaviour and from all economic, social, cultural, gender and family circumstances. Their key position statements, teaching and learning. The curriculum must reflect the diverse learning needs of all students to equip them to achieve their potential and to become active, informed and responsible citizens. Teachers and staff must be provided with relevant, evidence-based and professional learning which provides skills and knowledge to effectively support the learning needs of all students. Resourcing. The Federal Government's Student Resource Standard, informed by the Gonski Review in 2011, is equitably and appropriately applied to support all students according to their needs so that public school students receive their full entitlement. The physical infrastructure of all public schools is of a high standard to provide comfortable, safe and engaging learning environments. Workforce. All public schools are adequately and equitably staffed with qualified personnel, in particular rural and remote communities and other hard-to-staff areas. The New South Wales Government provides high-quality professional learning to all staff throughout their employment. The New South Government undertakes a comprehensive review of workforce planning to support increased school and enrolment needs. Wellbeing. An appropriate, safe and healthy working and learning environment must be provided for all people in all educational settings. They must be supported by relevant programs and sufficient resources to facilitate individual and group well-being. Aboriginal education. The Australian Constitution must be amended to recognise the prior sovereignty and legal rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people as the first peoples of the nation. Fully funded learning programs should be funded to enable Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students to achieve equal educational outcomes and reach their full potential. Secular public education. Public Education Party recognises independent Catholic and faith-based schools exist in our education community. Public Education Party advocates that the local public school and educational setting is the preferred school for young people, the fabric of the community and social capital. Public Education Party defends the Gonski model in principle as the preferred and agreed to fairer resourcing model. Beyond school. At any point in their lives, learners and potential students must have access to TAFE, appropriate providers and tertiary education. This is regardless of background, socioeconomic status, language proficiency and geography. Teaching and learning. Their position. The curriculum must reflect the diverse learning needs of all students to equip them to achieve their potential and to become active, informed and responsible citizens. Teachers and staff must be provided with relevant and evidence-based professional learning, which provides skills and knowledge to effectively support the learning needs of all students. 
and they see some of the priority areas as curriculum, Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander peoples, early childhood and preschool, special education, English as an additional language or dialect, new arrivals, assessment and reporting, and VET. Now, resourcing, their position. The federal government's student resourcing standard, the SRS, informed by the 2011 Gonski Review, is equitably and appropriately applied to support all school students according to their needs so that all public schools receive their full entitlement of funding. The physical infrastructure that's provided to all public schools is of a high and effective standard to provide safe, comfortable and engaging learning environments. Some priority areas there they see are the student resource standard, equity, assets and infrastructure, WHS, IT and financial management. Now the workforce, their position, all public schools are adequately and equitably staffed with qualified personnel, in particular rural and remote communities and other hard to staff areas. The New South Government should provide high quality professional learning to all staff throughout their employment. The New South Government undertakes a comprehensive review of workforce planning to support increased school and enrolment needs. Now, priority areas there are temporary teacher employment, more permanent teachers to overcome the widespread shortage of casual teachers, more school counsellors and specialist teachers that are regional and district-based, including consultant and advisory roles in the areas of curriculum, disability, English as an additional language or dialect, and well-being, an improved statewide standard-based promotion system, the provision of central support services and resources, allocating increased release from face-to-face teaching time to enable staff to participate in ongoing professional learning, including collegial planning and preparation, provision of professional learning for all staff, NESA addressing learning needs of teachers, the process of accreditation of teachers and the induction of teachers, selection and entry requirements into teacher training, scholarship programs to address shortages, salaries, provision of specialist services that are regional district based, including consultant and advisory roles in the areas of curriculum and disability, English as an additional language or dialect and wellbeing. Consistent practices across the schools in the induction of teachers and their progress towards accreditation. Development of positive leadership in schools. Well-being. Their position. An appropriate, safe and healthy working and learning environment must be provided for all people in all educational settings. Some of the priority areas are Programs that promote well-being for individuals, groups, institutions and their community members are funded and resourced as components of the regular curriculum. The creation of working and learning environments that recognise and address the different needs of individuals and groups and where all members are included and respected. Professional learning and awareness raising strategies are implemented so that all members are valued and empowered. Regular and consistent recognition of members' achievements is a prominent feature of the institution's culture and regular assessment of wellbeing programs to determine efficacy and future directions. Aboriginal education, their position. The rich and diverse cultures, histories and experiences of our First Nations people should be acknowledged and celebrated. 
The true story of the subjugation and treatment of our First Nations people is taught through an integrated curriculum and resources are provided to support First Nations students and their families to achieve their social and intellectual potential. Priority areas. The Australian Constitution is amended to recognise the prior sovereignty and legal rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the first peoples of the nation. The provision of fully funded learning programs that enable Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students to achieve equal educational outcomes and reach their full potential. These programs must value all Aboriginal students and their culture and be developed in consultation with Aboriginal communities. More Aboriginal staff are employed in schools and TAFEs, ideally on country, to support and teach students. That Aboriginal cultural and history education is provided regularly for all staff and all students, including reference to the local history of the school or learning environment beyond school. Position. At any point in their lives, learners and potential students must have access to TAFE, appropriate providers and tertiary education. This is regardless of the background, socioeconomic status, language proficiency and geography. All tertiary learning should be free of cost. Priority areas, TAFE, tertiary and partnerships. So that's the Public Education Party of New South Wales manifesto. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you, Dale. Uh, So this uh, Public Education Party, the dogs would agree with pretty well everything that they're saying, excepting that they appear to be very ambiguous on the state aid issue. The dogs are not ambiguous about that. They say that that private schools should not receive public funding. They should be private. They should be independent. But we do recognise that they exist and they have every right to exist. So um, these people in, in Sydney are still very frightened of being called sectarian, obviously, but we hope that they will eventually uh, become as brave as the dogs and just accommodate being called sectarian because we know we're not. We are for public education, which is accessible to all children, which is, in fact, non-sectarian. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope, and if you want to find out more about us or about that press release 967, you can go to the website at www.adogs.info. But as well as the Public Education Party up there in New South Wales, there's another interesting group in Canberra, Save Our Schools, and Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools has been doing some very interesting work indeed, and he has produced a research paper entitled Private Schools Had the Biggest Funding Increases and the Biggest Falls in School Results. Maddie, tell us about all this. And if you would like to see the article, because there's a lot of graphs and statistics that is put in, you can go to the Save Our Schools website. Trevor Cobold says, some of the commentary on the Productivity Commission report on the National Schools Reform Agreement drew a simplistic and highly misleading link between increased school funding and results. It ignored the key facts that Catholic and independent schools had the largest funding increases since 2009 and the largest declines in international test results. 
The figures suggest that private schools are much less efficient than public schools, especially given that public schools enrol the vast majority of disadvantaged students. The report triggered a severe bout of wailing that funding increases over the past decade have failed to have any impact on school outcomes. A headline in the Australian Financial Review said it all. Gonski Billions had little impact on literacy numeracy. It editorialised, spending so much money to produce so little in the national interest raises questions about the basic effectiveness of public policy. Many others took up the refrain. The whaling was helped along by the commission itself. Commissioner Natalie Siegel-Brown told the Sydney Morning Herald, Governments have boosted funding for schools and are implementing reforms to lift student outcomes. However, so far, this effort has had little impact on literacy and numeracy results. This was despite the Commission's own statement that funding was outside the scope of its inquiry. The report itself did not draw such a link. It did not analyse the relationship between funding and school outcomes, yet the Commissioner went ahead and fueled the mantra that funding increases have failed to improve outcomes. It was enough for the Financial Review to claim that the Commission had shockingly concluded that the Gonski funding had failed. The report did not make such a finding or conclusion. The Financial Review's comments are common mantra. They are simplistic and superficial. They fail to analyse what has happened to school funding and outcomes over the past decade or more. A more thorough analysis shows that funding increases have heavily favoured private schools, which enrol only a small proportion of disadvantaged students, and that private schools had the biggest declines in international test results. Government funding has favoured private schools. First, the mantra fails to acknowledge that the biggest funding increases have gone to private schools and they have far more resources than public schools. On average, private schools are overfunded while public schools are massively underfunded. The funding increase for Catholic and independent schools since 2009 was three times that for public schools. Since 2009, Commonwealth and state government funding per student adjusted for inflation increased by $830 per student in public schools compared to $2,839 per student in independent and $2,490 per student in Catholic schools. The mantra regularly disparages the Gonski funding as having failed. In reality, there was very little Gonski funding. The additional funding in the first four years of the plan was little more than planned in the forward estimates at the time. The big funding increases planned for the last two years never eventuated. The Abbott government abandoned the $7.5 billion funding increase plan for the last two years of the plan. It also immediately abandoned the agreement that the states increase their funding. This was a further loss of $5.6 billion in state funding over the next six years. Please. You can blame Abbott, but I think you need to go back to Gillard, who mm. wasn't courageous enough to introduce the whole Gonski funding straight away. She put it mm. off for six years, and this enabled the coalition government to just make mincemeat of it, which Abbott did. Uh, I mean, the results have been just so inequitable that it's mind-boggling. The Morrison government introduced a new funding approach for private schools that delivers $36 billion in funding bill over 10 years, supplemented by a $1.2 billion choice and affordability slush fund. There was nothing for public schools. 
The outcome is that private schools are overfunded by governments while public schools are massively underfunded. On average, private schools were funded at 103% of their schooling resource standard in 2022, while public schools were funded at only 87% of their SRS. Private schools had largest declines in the OECD's PISA test results since 2009. Despite their highly privileged funding, independent schools had the biggest declines. This is entirely ignored by the Financial Review. They had this <laughs> enormous amount of funding, billions and billions of dollars, an extra $36 billion over yeah. 10 years, together yeah. with a slush fund of $1.2 billion. Yeah. And their results declined. Private schools had the largest declines in the OEC program, the PISA. But independent school reading test results declined by 18 points and by 17 points in Catholic schools compared to 10 points in public schools. The reading decline in public schools was not statistically significant, but declines in independent and Catholic schools were statistically significant. Mathematics results declined by 24 points in independent schools and 27 points in Catholic schools compared to 22 points in public schools. Science results fell by 30 points in independent schools and by 28 points in Catholic schools compared to 22 points in public schools. So when although there's an overall decline, the yeah. private schools are in fact doing worse yes, in pizza results than public schools. I tell you what, there must be some crackerjack teachers in those public schools, I reckon. Absolutely. Many of those espousing the mantra over the years assert that private schools have better results than public schools. This is rubbish. Yes, rubbish. The differences are solely the result of different student demographic profiles between the school sectors. Once adjusted for the differences in the socioeconomic status composition of the schools, the PISA results show that public schools have better results than private schools. Clearly, Public schools perform as well as, if not better, than private schools when the differences in student and school SES are taken into account. This is a consistent finding of many studies. Nearly 30 academic studies of public and private school outcomes in Australia in the last 20 years have showed that the vast weight of evidence is that public schools achieve similar or better outcomes compared to these private schools. The most recent of these studies analysed NAPLAN results for years three to nine and found no differences between public and private schools after controlling for socioeconomic status. Government funding has been badly misdirected to the school sectors, least in need instead of the sector most in need. Public schools are managing to do as well as private schools despite having far fewer human and material resources than private schools and being disadvantaged by government funding policies that have heavily favoured private schools. However, they remain massively underfunded for the challenges they face. Public schools enrol over 80% of disadvantaged students, and there are shocking inequalities in school outcomes between advantaged and disadvantaged students. Very high proportions of low socioeconomic status, Indigenous and remote area students, do not achieve national literacy and numeracy standards compared to very small proportions of high SES students. By year nine, low SES, Indigenous and remote area students are four to five years of learning behind their high SES peers. Despite this, 
Public schools across Australia are vastly underfunded to meet the challenges they face. They are currently funded on average at 87.1% of their SRS. Public schools in all states except the ACT are funded at well under their SRS. They will remain underfunded until at least 2029 under current funding arrangements. The Labor Party that's in power in Canberra is putting it off for another year. I mean, the figures are so stark. The Mm. situation, really, it's a dereliction of duty to our children, and yet they just keep putting things off. It's blaringly Um, obvious, and it it is a dire situation, and something needs to be done about it. By contrast, private schools who serve only a small minority of disadvantaged students are significantly overfunded. On average... They are currently funded at 104.3% of their SRS and will remain overfunded for the rest of the decade. Private schools in all states except the Northern Territory are funded at over 100% of their SRS. The chronic severe underfunding of public schools cannot be allowed to continue. The recent Productivity Commission report on the current National School Reform Agreement says that governments have to do better on equity in school outcomes. It recommended that governments focus on ensuring that all students achieve basic levels of literacy and numeracy and reducing achievement gaps between different groups of students. This will require increased funding of public schools to 100% of their SRS. At least. Well, Mm. thank you, Maddie. And thanks very much to Trevor Coble, who does such marvellous work with his financial analysis uh, of the situation in Australia and links it up with what is really going on. These reports at the Productivity Commission was asked to write a report, but in its terms of reference, what's coming out, it was not asked to uh, have a look at funding, only at whether or not Australia is keeping up with the rest of the world. Well, Australia is not keeping up with the rest of the world, and it's largely because the funding arrangements that the federal and state governments have in place are not working. What is not working is the state aid given to the private schools and the lack of public funding not given to the state schools, and it's glaringly obvious. But we'll have a bit of a break and come back to some more interesting material. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. We hope you're still listening to the Dogs Program. We've been hearing from the Save Our Schools group uh, and their wonderful financial analysis. Ray Nelson from the Dogs used to do wonderful financial analysis, but he's no longer with us and Trevor Cobalt has taken it over. Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools used to work for the Productivity Commission and he's pretty crash hot. On all the uh, on all the facts and figures, very useful stuff indeed. All of the uh, jumping up and down of the public school interest in New South Wales, at least, is bearing some fruit because there is an election, I think, in early March, and the Labor Party are rethinking their education policy. 
Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. This is a media release from the New South Wales Teachers Federation titled Significant Announcement on School Funding by New South Wales Labor. New South Wales Labor's commitment to end the underfunding of public schools is a significant announcement that will be welcomed by teachers and principals across the state. New South Wales Teachers Federation President Angelo Gavrilatos says for a decade we have had a measurable minimum level of resourcing that public schools require to meet the needs of their students. But public schools have never been resourced to that schooling resource standard, the SRS. The agreement struck by the New South Wales Coalition with the Morrison government leaves public schools indefinitely under-resourced while New South Wales private schools are over-resourced. Labor's announcement shows that they are prepared to end this injustice and ensure that every public school across New South Wales is fully funded. If Labor wins the election in March, we want to see an agreement struck with the Albanese government on full funding of public schools as soon as possible. The proposed investment in additional teachers, school counsellors and a permanent literacy and numeracy intensive learning program would make a real difference for teachers and the children they educate. By contrast, the coalition slashed funding this year for the COVID intensive learning support program and told schools to find the rest of the money themselves. Five years ago, it agreed there should be one counsellor for every 500 students, and still it hasn't delivered. The announcement goes with the commitments Labor has already made to cut the unsustainable workloads of teachers, axe the government's wage cap, and negotiate high salaries and reverse the coalition's 80% increase in temporary teachers. This is a recognition by Labor that the only way we can stop teacher shortages and secure the teachers we need for the future is to invest in the profession. In November, government figures showed there were 3,300 vacant permanent positions in New South Wales public schools. We have two-thirds of teachers saying they are burnt out and 60% looking to leave in the next five years. Over 90% of teachers say shortages have led to collapsed or merged classes in the last two years. Mr Perrottet's $125 million teacher supply strategy has been an expensive failure. The number of vacant positions has more than tripled since the strategy was announced and the government recruited three teachers from overseas in a year. Now, the Premier thinks cutting qualifications and bringing in unqualified teachers is the answer. Labor's commitments shows there's a real alternative to this tired, failing government. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Dale. Down at the grassroots, because there's a lack of funding for our public education, the parents are being asked to contribute more and more and more, which means that free education, not to mention secular and compulsory, are under threat. And free education is just such an important concept if we are going to have our children properly educated, all of our children, not just some of our children. But Sorrell has got an interesting article for us on this. Over to you, Sorrell. Thanks, Jean. So this article is by Nicole Cressel and Adam Carey, and it's entitled Beg and Borrow, State Schools Plead for Parental Contributions. Families are being asked to make hundreds of dollars in voluntary payments to public schools with principals warning that without the contributions, they can deliver only a basic education. 
In a series of letters to parents before the return to school, principals have said voluntary contribution voluntary contributions enable them to offer smaller class sizes, extra support staff, literacy and numeracy programs, musical instruments, science equipment, and even ovens for cooking classes. But schools are bracing for a dip in payments as more families struggle with the rising cost of living. In 2021, the Education Department banned schools from pressuring parents to make payments but public school advocates said some voluntary contribution notices were still misleading, implying it was compulsory. At least one Victorian state school in a disadvantaged area resorted to including a Centrelink auto payment form in its welcome pack for parents. Each school decides its voluntary financial contributions based on subject needs and extracurricular activities, which means different schools ask for different contributions and offer payment plans. The funds can cover everything from photocopying costs to stationery, first aid supplies, student ID passes, and school nurses. The contributions are not supposed to cover essential items, but the Glen Iris City Councillor and Associate Professor in Education at Southern Cross University, David Zinya, said schools were under financial pressure. All those things, including tissues and sunscreen, hand sanitizer, all those things are essentials, he said. Zinya said if state schools were properly funded, voluntary contributions would not be so important. Unfortunately, public schools still have to beg, borrow, and hopefully not steal from parents and the community to supply the essentials for their kids, he said. The reason they have to do this is that in Victoria, almost every public school in the rest of Australia, except for ACT, are underfunded. Zinya said some schools were underfunded by up to $2 million. So it does not matter how much the parents do contribute, it will never make up for that shortfall, he said. At Melbourne High School, voluntary contributions added up to $3,600 for one year nine student, on top of the cost of a school-approved computer, uniforms and books. Principal Tony Mordini wrote to parents saying the select entry schools programs cannot be delivered without your financial contributions. Victorian Principals Association President Andrew Dalgleish said each school faced different challenges and some communities had a greater potential to contribute. The challenge for schools is how do we pay for it when we find we may not have enough money in our budgets to do that, he said. Dalglish expects schools will receive lower contributions this year due to the cost of living pressures. There will be some parents 12 months who, sorry, there will be some parents 12 months ago who would have been fine, but if their mortgage rates rise, they are going to struggle to make a contribution towards their child's education. I think we are in for a pretty rocky six months. We still have plenty of federal funding going into our high fee independent and Catholic schools. And yet we are still in the government system requesting voluntary contributions from people who might not be able to pay. He said families could go on payment plans and that most principals would understand if parents spoke with them about not being able to afford the fees. North Geelong Secondary College wrote to parents a week before Christmas seeking automated access to welfare payments for voluntary contributions. It was subsequently told by the Education Department to modify the form to make clearer to parents that all contributions are voluntary. 
Principal Nick Adamow said that while while schools provide free instruction and all payments are voluntary, they ensure the school can offer the best education and support for students. Parent payments and fundraising efforts have enabled the college to limit class sizes, he said. They have also gone towards sports, literacy and numeracy programs, instrumental music and even faster Wi-Fi. Save Our Schools National Convener Trevor Cobalt said some voluntary payment notices were still misleading, as some were sent in the form of an invoice, even though they clearly stated they were voluntary. That gives the impression they're not voluntary, he said. He added there needed to be more outreach to struggling families. How many migrant families are going to walk up to the principal and say, we are poor, we aren't going to pay, he said. Cobalt said voluntary contributions topped up an underfunded state school system. Victoria is the equal second worst funded system in the entire country. So, of course, schools are under pressure and putting pressure on parents. Australian Principals Federation President Tina King said schools will source some classroom materials through voluntary contributions and teachers will even buy materials themselves. They often dip into their own pockets. It's not what we endorse or advocate, she said. According to the 2021 Australian Education Union State of Our Schools survey, 84% of public school teachers spend an average of $883 a year of their own money on supplies. And 90% of primary school teachers spend an average of $1,110. Can we have those figures again? Because this is what individual teachers, each of them are spending. So you can deduct that actually from their pay. It's It's pretty pretty shocking, isn't it? Just to make sure that their children are not deprived completely. Those figures, again, because they are shocking, are 84% of public school teachers are spending an average of $883 a year of their own money on supplies, and 90% of primary school teachers spend an average of $1,110 of their own money. King said the revisions to the parent payment policy and the refinements of allowable wording to families had an impact on contributions. While a small percentage of schools' payments have gone up, we know across the board schools have taken a hit as well, she said. That compromises the rich opportunities the schools offer. But she said schools would do everything they could to ensure students were not disadvantaged if they could not contribute to the voluntary payments. Social campaigner Les Twentyman said the reality for families is that schooling is not free. For families unable to meet the cost of voluntary school fees, they often face public shaming or the exclusion of their child from various school activities, which can have a negative impact on a child, as no child at school wants to feel different, he said. So if you're carrying around secondhand books, wearing an old uniform or banned from certain activities, this can lead a child to withdrawing from their education or refusing to attend school. Eubank College in Melbourne's northeast told parents that schools provide free instruction to fulfill the standard curriculum, but that other programs the college offers add to the cost of education. Our college is proud of the quality of our facilities and resources available for our students to enjoy, and few schools match the numerous programs we offer to cater for students' needs and interests. 
However, these do not come without extra costs, Principal Sharon Grimes wrote. Those extras included additional support staff in science, technology and performing arts, and resources such as 3D laser printers. Australian Education Union Victoria branch president Meredith Peace said if Victoria's public schools were fully funded by the federal and state governments, they would not have to depend on teacher and parent contributions to provide the resources students need for higher quality education. The need for parents to contribute to the cost of educational resources creates greater inequality in the system, where families who have a greater capacity to pay benefit more than those families who can't, she said. These contributions also place a significant burden on teachers who don't want to see students missing out and want nothing more than to deliver the education their students need and deserve, even if it comes at a significant and unreasonable personal expense. A State Department of Education and Training spokesperson said the department's policy on parent payments was clear, that each contribution must be voluntary. Voluntary parent payments make a contribution to enriching the educational experience offered at schools, the spokesperson said. No child can be disadvantaged or refused instruction in the standard Victorian curriculum if voluntary financial contributions are not made. Families can apply for support through schools and the State School Relief Fund. Back over to you, Jean. Yes, well, um, the State School Relief Fund is wonderful and so is the Smith family. But a child's education is a right. It shouldn't depend upon charity. And that's where we're at in Australia at the moment. Uh, Because of all of the state aid going into the private schools, our state schools are being forced to act like private schools and charge our parents uh, fees. It's just not good enough. Well, now's the time to go overseas with Jeff. And then after that, of course, to end our program with a positive streak, we go to our great state school. Over to you, Jeff. Thank you, Jean. And look, we're going over to uh, America where we follow Diana Ravitch very closely. Um, she's absolutely one of the best bloggers from the American side of of uh, public education um, with deep, deep concerns about the erosion of public education in the United States. And she's published an article on the 5th of February. Uh, it says, Oklahoma, out-of-state billionaires foot the bill for lobby to lobby for vouchers. Vouchers being the system they use over there to promote um, public ed- private education, taking money off the public system. She says, Oklahoma govern- Governor Kevin Stitt wants voters to believe that his push for vouchers comes from the grassroots. Not true. The last time vouchers came to a vote in the legislature, they were defeated by Republicans, especially rural Republicans, who understand the importance of their public school. Ben Fielder of The Oklahoman got copies of internal correspondence and learned that the voucher campaign is funded by the Walton Family Foundation, organisations created by Charles Koch, is Governor Stitt, uh, Governor Stitt believes that the people of Oklahoma want vouchers, why doesn't he put it to the vote? Why let out-of-state billionaires defund the already underfunded public schools of Oklahoma? Take it to the people. Let them decide. Um, and that's that's just a short article from her. But the next one's really quite scary. Well, not really if you're Diana Ravitch, because she has the will of steel. The article is the same date, February 5. Fox News published an erroneous story about me and I am getting death threats. 
So this is uh, death threats against poor old Diana uh, Ravage. So Joshua Q. Nelson wrote a story for Fox News saying that I was a hypocrite for sending my sons to private schools more than 50 years ago and ignoring the fact that I turned against school choice publicly in 2010. His source was Corey DeAngelis, who works for Betsy DeVos. He had attacked me so often on Twitter that I blocked him. A little bit of research would have shown that I supported school choice from the late 1980s when charters first emerged until 2008 when I started writing a book about my disavowal of conservative education ideology, charters, vouchers, standardised testing, merit pay and high stakes accountability. My change of mind and heart was well covered, not only in the New York Times, but in the Wall Street Journal and other publications, and the book became a national bestseller. Christina Pushaw, a close aide to Ron DeSantis, amplified the story in her Twitter account, as did the notorious Chris Rufio. Since the story came out, I have received numerous death threats. Yesterday, I got another one, a long and garbled message with religious allusions, which ended by saying, yes, we will be saying Goliath. You are Goliath. I think Joshua Q. Nelson should be aware that he was played by DeAngelis and correct his story. Meanwhile, I'm flattered that Ron DeSantis and Betsy DeVos and their minions read my tweets and perhaps my blog. I would like to recommend that they read my last three books where I demonstrate the importance of public schools and the hoax of school choice, which originated as the battle cry of segregationists after the Brown decision. In a diverse society like ours, public schools bring children from different backgrounds together. They are essential for our democracy. They are the best choice. Of course, Parents are free to make private choices, but they should not expect taxpayers to pay for their choice to send their child to a private school that discriminates against others. Meanwhile, uh, she sets a reading assignment for Corey DeAngelis, Chris Rufio, Rhonda Sanders, Betsy DeVos, which is basically her, her books, so she should read them, and uh, something they would never do, of course, being um, avowed opponents of public school education. And it's just a shame when, when these massive billionaires, Betsy DeVos and Koch and all those sorts of people, start attacking humble academics who are simply trying to put the best foot forward and, and call things how they see them. Isn't it a shame? Anyway, now we're going to nip across to the UK, uh, where, of course, trouble is brewing and has been brewing for a long time. And this is from The Guardian. And it's an article by Heather Stewart, Richard Adams and Peter Walker from the 2nd of February. And it's called Ministers and Unions Dig In Amid Widespread Strike Action Across the UK. Little prospect of breakthrough as strikes hit schools, trains, universities and border posts. And it goes. Unions and government appeared as far apart as ever after widespread strike action closed or partly closed more than half of schools across England and Wales. Striking workers from participating unions held rallies in cities, including Bristol, Brighton, Birmingham and London on Wednesday as teachers, university staff, rail workers and civil servants stopped work to demand better pay. When Rishi Sunak asked whether he would negotiate with public sector workers, the Prime Minister instead called on Labor to condemn the teacher strikes as wrong and he told MPs that children deserve to be in school today being taught. A survey of 948 schools by the Association of School and College Leaders found that 920 were affected by the industrial action. In 35% of schools, more than half of the teachers were on strike. 
the Department of Education was eager to stress that 90% of state schools in England remained open, based on its figures, though less than half, 45.9%, were fully open. The DFE defined a school as being fully opened, fully open if 90% of its pupils were either present, absent for unauthorised reasons or ill. If more than 10% of pupils were registered as out of school for strike-related reasons, including, including those asked to work from home, the school was counted as open but restricting attendance. Only if no pupils at all were present was the school defined as closed. The Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, said one school closure is too many and it remains deeply disappointing that the NEU proceeded with this disruptive action. But many teachers, head teachers and support staff have shown that children's education and well-being, well-being must always come first. Polling by Savanta suggests 58% of parents supported the teachers' strike, despite having to cope with school closures. Across the population as a whole, 50% backed the teachers. Chris Hopkins, Savanta's political research director, said the government's strategy on the strikes has been very much to hope that the greater the disruption, the higher the opposition. But so far, that hasn't been the case. The leaders of the National Education Union, NEU, Mary Bowsted and Kevin Courtney, described Wednesday's strike as a huge statement from a determined membership who smashed through the government's thresholds that were only ever designed to prevent strike, strike action happening at all. They urged Keegan to step up with concrete and meaningful dis- proposals in time to halt their next planned strike action on the 28th of February. Mark Sawatka, the General Secretary of the Public and Commercial Services Union, PCS, which represents civil servants, said he was also waiting for a serious offer from ministers. There is no substance, nothing remotely looking like it, he said. Many PCS members have been awarded a 2% increase, and 100,000 members across public services from museums to border posts were striking on Wednesday. After visiting, visiting picket lines around London and addressing a rally, Sawatka described striking members as very young, very vibrant, very diverse, lots of first-time strikers, and a real sense from many of them that they felt quite empowered. Hailing continued public support for their cause, he said, unless anything shifts, there's an inevitability that this is bound to grow. So that's um, trouble over in the UK. I mean, they've got a 10% inflation rate. They're offering their civil servants and teachers 2%. um, or less in some cases. Um, it's extraordinary destruction of the public sector by the Tory government there. And destruction of uh, public education is everything the dogs stands against. So we stand with the strikers. We stand for public education. Every week on the Dogs Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school of the week is Echuca Primary School. Echuca Primary School, or 208, first 
opened in 1858 and was relocated from its original site in 1995 to the current site in High Street, Echuca, nestled between the Campaspe River and the Central Business District. The school grounds have been extensively developed and the primary school has a reputation in the community for being an excellent school that provides first-class education and many additional opportunities for students. Their students are highly motivated and enthusiastic, while their dedicated teachers provide an excellent teaching and learning environment. Students have access to a range of learning technologies at 208, including interactive whiteboards and iPads. The school has a Bring Your Own iPad program from grades 3 to 6. The school enjoys strong support from parents, school council, staff and the local community. Great emphasis is placed on caring for the students, staff and parents by providing an environment that's both safe and secure. The buildings and grounds were specifically designed to meet the school community's needs with active and passive play areas and provision of shade areas. They anticipate support in maintaining the standards in education and student discipline as they build the partnership between home and school. This partnership is the keystone to their kids' education. Teaching staff are currently being trained in positive behaviours in schools programs to ensure that there's a consistent approach to student wellbeing and engagement. This recognises that all students have a right to learn and all teachers have a right to teach. Their aim at all times is to provide an atmosphere that's happy, harmonious and caring. They aim to ensure the healthy development of every child so that each has the knowledge skills and resilience to be successful in a rapidly changing world. Echuca Primary School operates on the strong belief that the development of the whole child is imperative, whereby self-esteem and confidence is essential for successful learning and is an integral part of the school's mission. The school has outstanding parent and community involvement in a range of activities such as the 208 Gala Ball, School Fate, Term Discos, sporting activities, camps and excursions. So the school has 548 students and the ICSIA value of the school is 993, which is well below the average of 1,000. 8% have parents in the upper 25% quartile of income. 22% of the kids have parents in the second highest income quartile. 38% from the third quartile and 32% from the poorest 25% of the community. 3% of the pupils speak a language other than English and 6% are of Indigenous parentage. It's a school full of disadvantaged students with dedicated principal and teachers. It costs the taxpayer only $11,219 below the Gonski resource standard to educate a student at this school. The school receives only $1.2 million from the federal government and $5 million from the state government, $64,574 from fees and $93,400 from private fundraising. But the capital grants in the last three years have been only $195,268. All this public and private money is money well spent. The NAPLAN results of these students are more than just fine. They are well above average in reading and the remaining tests are all above average. There's some very skillful teaching going on at this school. So congratulations, Echuca Primary. You are this week's Great State School of the Week. Well, I think that we should congratulate the teachers up there at Echuca Primary because looking at the, uh, the children and their resources up there, 
which are very meagre indeed, their NAPLAN results are extraordinary, which takes us back, of course, to what Trevor Cobalt was saying. On less money, our state schools are doing much better than the private schools. So why have them or why fund them? But you've been listening to the dogs, and if you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. But for this week, it's bye from bye for now from Dale and Maddie and Sorrel and Jeff and me. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.